benvenuti al Double Loop Podcast, la tua fonte di sapere sulle impronte digitali. Sono Aldo dall'Italia. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. All right, Glenn, as my high school econ teacher would say, gentlemen, we've got some good shit today. <laughs> wow. In any case, I'm excited to talk about some stuff today. But uh, first up, uh, you are recently back from international travels, which, boy, maybe the uh, the the last of any international travels that either of us do for a little while. Yeah, that uh, that is true. We are in full virus mode and p- apparently post-apocalyptic world stuff going on. It's it's kind of crazy. I I heard earlier today that that Tom Hanks. I mean, you guys are going to be hearing this, you know, recording a few days you know from now, so it'll probably all be old news. But that Tom Hanks now has the coronavirus, and that the NBA just shuttered the rest of their season. So, um, yeah, crazy stuff. Hopefully, we you know uh, it, things start getting better soon. But because it's. It's uh, it's kind of crazy out there right now, and I will, we're going to come to some OSAC topics later. But uh, also, uh, uh, we just got word that the OSAC meeting for um, Friction Ridge and and a bunch of other uh, groups uh, that was scheduled for next month has just been canceled. So I know it, it's it's crazy, man. It, yeah, I in my well, I don't know in my lifetime never seen any, anything like this. I've just never risen to this level, and I'm. I mean, yeah. generally world about worried about the global economy. It's not stopping us from recording, though. Yeah, <laughs> we we are isolated from each other by a couple thousand miles. So, um, indeed, you know, we we are at least safe from each other, Glenn. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, as as of now, I do not think I'm infected. Although, yeah, I guess it takes a couple of days to find that out. <sighs> yeah, well. Keep keep washing your hands, uh, and and uh, we'll all come through this here uh, pretty soon. But all right, enough doom and gloom. Let's let's talk about uh, you know some of the things that uh, some of the stories that you're bringing back from jolly old England. Yeah, I was in the UK. I was teaching the last couple of weeks with Alice White. We um, we we've been teaching in Europe now for. for well, actually, for quite a few years, and it's been sort of spreading around, and we were teaching in the UK, which was exciting and, and new for both of us. The, the UK for decades, I mean, you know, for many, many years, had a national training program. They had these right. police colleges where all fingerprint experts in training would go uh, and take a number of courses. You know, their expert training would be anywhere from three to five years, depending on the amount of crime scenes and other duties they had. And uh, a few years back, the schools shut down. They just, um, I don't know, it was probably, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago, schools started shutting down and they just lost any national training. So there's this nice little vacuum there to, uh, to go over and teach. But what was really cool was that what we were teaching them is it's what we what we Alice and I experienced elsewhere. It was a sort of wow. Yes, you had a training program, but it's pretty clear that this training program, a lot of the information. I mean, I can't speak to all of it, but a lot of it was probably a bit outdated and fairly old and hadn't been updated. Right. So the stuff that they were hearing from Alice and I was just a bit mind blowing for them. <laughs> And, you know, and okay. they're a little like the they, – they remind me of examiners in the U.S. probably 20, 25 years ago where science degrees were just starting to filter in. But it was mainly the younger generation with science degrees. The older didn't. Got it. Uh, yeah, everyone else had, had what came from that sworn background. Yep. Uh, they uh, they they don't go to court very often. Uh, that was one of the things that blew me away right away was – that even their experts with over 30 years of experience were, t- were saying they'd never been to court before. They had never given evidence in court. Wow. Yeah, right? Like, even even on a no ID, no, no, no Prince developed no, case? No, they would never get called on that. Good Lord. No, I, I know. So, 
And and when they do go, I mean, it's so polite and it's so, you know, well, you're an expert, so I'm going to treat you very politely. There's no real challenge. There's no real – it would just – it would it's just not their culture. It would just be impolite to challenge an expert that way if they qualify as an expert. You know, if if somehow I had a, a another serious life change and – and moved over and began a career as a latent print examiner in, in England, and I didn't get to go into court with all the wigs and robes and everything, <laughs> I'd be kind of pissed, and pissed in, like, the American sense, not the British sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I mean, it, it it seems like that would be quite an experience, but... Exactly. A, a very few students raised their hand to say that they had ever given evidence in court. I mean, and again, wow. the, one of the... the people I had called on with a, a 30 years of experience had never gone before. Uh, that's I, I'm floored. I really right. am. I, I had, I was, I would have not expected that. Right. So when it came to a lot of the, how do you answer this in court and how, in those sorts of parts of the class, I mean, that really wasn't our focus. We actually really just focused on a lot of – I mean obviously Alice focused on biology and distortion. Right. I focused on decision-making and really drilling down to what ASB is. Documentation, that's kind of a newer thing for them as well. Uh, the, frankly, most agencies there are underfunded and don't have – you know, they certainly don't have Photoshop and laptops. They're, you know, they're working off of comparators, honestly. And uh, wow. yeah, yeah, it's um, that's why that's why I, I said it's like the U.S. twenty or thirty years ago in, in our fingerprint world. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a like, wow, okay, but but now, um, now in the last few years, and I, I again, boy, I. I probably should have double-checked this, but my recollection is, you know, in the wake of the fingerprint inquiry from the McKee case, yes, and in the wake of the FSS, the Forensic Science Service, shutting down, and all the sort of reform going on in the UK, there was this creation of what was called the regulator. It's this basically... <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I've been watching too many like post-apocalyptic movies recently, but, but oh, I was thinking Vin but, Diesel. It just seems like okay. a Vin Diesel character. Sure, sure. I mean that you know, like a like a Riddick kind of thing, but um, um, still that, the regulator, <laughs> the regulator. Yes, right. Uh, I, I'm in my mind. I'm picturing Lord Humongous from Road Warrior. But anyway, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Right. So the regulator is basically the enforcement arm for forensic science in the UK. It's this agency that has said, okay, we're going to get serious now. All all agencies that are going to give forensic evidence in the courtroom will become accredited under 17025. We will also okay. create additional requirements for them to meet, and we will – effectively, it's exactly what the NAS called for. You know, when they suggested the for formation of a NIFS, National Institute of Forensic Science, uh, they basically did that, and they, they formed exactly what the NAS recommended, uh, an a, a government agency that would be in charge of enforcing and ensuring that the standards were being met. So, and, and not exempting out latent prints, also including exactly. that in that. Okay. No, it's, uh, if you're going to yeah. give forensic evidence in the court, it will meet these these standards. Because so, that's, you know, sometimes what you see in different states is like, yeah, yeah, all the forensic sciences have to go through, you know, whatever, whatever, and then little addendum, except maybe for latent prints, because, you know, there's so many sworn officers involved in, in that work. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Right. So they... Uh, uh, they have been scrambling the last few years to meet these requirements and and you know be able to meet seventeen o two five or seventeen o two o and it's been a real a real struggle for them, especially since the report the most recent report said, oh, and by the way, it's very obvious that these forensic agencies are are underfunded, understaffed, cannot keep up with the work. And so we have to find more efficient ways to do this. So, I mean, they're really trying to find ways to streamline it, but they're being hamstrung by not having the people or the the, the technology to do some of this. So it, right. it's – and, and you know, this is all the agencies. I mean, it's not like, oh, no, the 
you know, the backwater agencies are the ones suffering. I mean, even like the Met, you know, the Scotland Yard, you, yeah. know, you know, they, you know, they have some of the same issues. I mean, yes, some agencies have a little bit more money than others, but even still, it, it's pretty clear that they're 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 very hard working to keep up with their caseload, but they're trying to meet this whole new set of regulations. Okay. Okay. Yep. So that that was pretty that was that was new for 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 me to hear to hear all these things. Yeah, no, that's that that's not not exactly what I would have expected from uh from from uh the UK. Oh, the, the home of fingerprints? Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they they uh, I mean, they have this reputation of uh, well, I guess they have different reputations, right? Yeah, home of fingerprints, but you know, also the home of Scotland Yard and Sherlock Holmes and, and all of that. Also the home of, uh, of DNA uh, uh, yeah. you know, testing uh, to, to, you know, to a large extent. And you, know, you have you know, basically like the first, the first country with a point, an official point standard to move away from it, right? And that was 20 plus years ago. So uh, it, it's it's just kind of strange to hear how oh okay it sounded like they were moving in a certain direction where in reality it may have stalled out at some point. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely trying to move in 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 the right direction. Good, and, good. And it's just it's simply a matter of of being able to to meet these requirements. I mean they one of the things that came out in the most recent report. And this will be related to what we're talking. We're going to talk about tonight is that the forensic regulator had said that it's time for them to consider moving away from the term identification, and Ooh. and that really threw them off because, of course, you know, like us, it's sort of a term that's near and dear. And I think their response was a little bit of, well, what would that look like? So, I mean, luckily, the class that we are teaching goes into that, and I have been teaching the OSAC standards in my classes, and I have found that students pick up on it very quickly. And, in fact, in class, they actually, you know, I, I, I told them on Monday, you're going to use this probably on Wednesday and Thursday, and it's going to, might seem a little odd to you now, but you will quickly adjust, and some of you will actually really take to it very quickly. And that's exactly what happened. I had a student come up to me, after using it for a couple of days and went, oh, the, oh, the case I had, th- that was the this was the perfect example of support for same source or support for, for different source. I mean, they immediately flocked to it and went, well, okay. If and then what I what I told them is put push the regulator to keep the term identification, but define it as extremely strong support for same source. Right. And I just said, look, tell the regulator, look at the OSAC standard. Use that as a model. Oh, and guess where that came from? It came from you guys in the first place. I mean, <laughs> it came it came from the FSS. I mean, it was the right. <laughs> originally what Ian Evett and Graham Jackson and those guys originally proposed twenty five years ago in the UK. Maybe maybe thirty now. So, I what an easier way to adopt it if they realized it was their own to begin with, right? <laughs> It, it it always helps um, the uh, you know the, the person closer to the top if they think it was their own idea to begin with. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I learned that lesson a long time ago, um, but uh, no, that's great to hear. So, any any uh, specific kind of, kind of fun story about the uh, the trip? Yeah, a, a, a few things. I mean, we well, okay. So, uh, one thing is it, the. I mean. It, you know, it's, it's a hard act to follow the Christmas or whatever holiday office party thing that you yes. <laughs> you described, but but I, I, I'm sure, um, but you know, keeping in mind that it's not going to be to quite that level, you know. Oh, <laughs> all right, well, but let, let me let me. All right, so the yes, the the Danish holiday party, the Yule party, right? right. So, a funny addendum to that story. When I saw oh when I saw Alice, I hadn't seen her in a while, and Alice is like, "You sob," and and she said, "You got to go to this holiday party. Apparently, you had an amazing time. Guess what happened to me?" I said, "I had no idea." Apparently, midway through her class, uh, one of the managers came in and announced that there will be layoffs and redundancies. 
Oh, in 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 Denmark. It, yes. In, oh. Yes. And so then she had to turn around and, and continue teaching after that announcement. Why? And there were Why would... a number of students who were like, I don't even know if I'll have a job here next week. And, don't care anymore. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I feel bad for Alice, but I mean, I feel worse for the, you know, some of those students that were in that class, you know, might might be laid off or, right. you know, whatever. And it's, it's really terrible. But I, I, I put myself in Alice's shoes as an instructor and thought, Oh man, yeah, that's yeah. We have we have very different diametrically opposed experiences. <laughs> ouch. Yikes! Yeah, ouch. Okay, all right. So yeah, you know where we were teaching was really in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there in t- there was really? no there was a town that was about a mile away, and the town had two two sit down restaurants, and that was it. I mean, there just was no place to sit down and eat. Uh, other uh, other okay. than the pub that was attached to the hotel, which got pretty old pretty fast. And there's a big difference in the quality <laughs> of the pub food, which was frozen and microwaved. And, you know, it, it, it was fine for Ooh. the first couple of days, but got old really fast. So, I mean, that was... Mi- microwave haggis? Oh, no, I, I wish there was haggis. No, it was more like <laughs> microwave, like, mince meat pie and got it uh they, so, we, so we, no, no haggis on this trip no no they didn't they don't do the haggis okay okay what part of of the uk was it in there uh it was midlands middle of the uk okay and smack in the middle you know near manchester sheffield and that area okay okay yeah so uh, anyway uh we, we there was just nothing to do anywhere around there so i mean and there was no like workout center at the hotel and it rained every day so we were just kind of stuck in the hotel (laughs) or the pub which you know uh, wasn't great just sitting and drinking lots of beer believe it or not i know those words coming out of my mouth (laughs) sound a little foreign but no that's true Uh, got it okay Uh, but we did go to uh, sherwood forest on the weekend that was kind of fun and and sheriff of nottingham and all that and we got to go to a couple of kind of cool little places and i we appreciate our guide so shout out to eleanor uh, who was very kind to take us around. Eleanor used to work for the Illinois State Police. She was actually one of, wow. one of David Greaves' trainees. She She's English, but she came to the U.S. for college, stayed for a few years, and then went back to the U.K. So she's okay. back there now. So she was super cool. She took us around. And, um, you know, we we had, had good times. But I want to share one thing with you that was kind of interesting was – it, well, and this happened in both classes. I was more prepared for them the second class. So, of course, I you know, was promoting the Double Loop podcast and trying to increase our British listening audience. Of course. Did you happen to notice an uptick at all in uh, in any – I don't know if you I, saw the demographics. I noticed the last report. There was a big jump in – Oh, really? In, I, 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 to be honest, I haven't been able to look in detail at the demographics recently. I – all right. I my my new job is keeping me well busy. Um, Understood. So. <laughs> well, there there was a, a big uptick in UK listeners. And, awesome. And I <laughs> yeah, I had <laughs> wait wait for it. Um, okay. So I mentioned on day one because just because of the topic we were talking about, you know, we were talking about source level propositions, activity level, and so on. I mentioned, oh, by the way, I, I have a podcast. Uh, I've co-hosted with Eric. Who the hell is Eric? No. <laughs> uh, and uh, I have mentioned. <laughs> and, and why isn't he here and, co-teaching with you? Why, it's really, right. That's what they were asking. Right, he's too cool. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, and by the way, you might be interested. Our last episode actually had an English fingerprint examiner. And there was just a pause for a second of, oh, really? And I said, yeah, Simon Bunter, who came on. And and before I could even get the rest of the name out, there was a bit of a reaction from the audience. And it went, oh, all right. I didn't expect this. I, I guess as a defense expert there, um. They're not used to defense experts, maybe the way we are in the states. So there was a little bit of a reaction. Well, it probably sounds like about the same reaction that uh, maybe 
10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, we would have gotten here by yeah. saying, hey, we got Simon Cole as the expert. Um, yep, for sure. <laughs> no, that, that's, a good, that's a good analogy, and it, it fits in right. the U.S. 25 years ago, you know, a mode, modality. But uh, one of the things, several students came up, and several students have various stories and experiences, and, and you know, again, it... What I've realized is, well, okay, so every story has two sides. I think the thing that, please, right. I think the thing that caught me off guard the most was a couple of students came up and said, all right, so we listened to the podcast. We know some of the cases that are being discussed, and they had some different information to offer. And uh, to in order okay. in order to protect the students, I, I can't say which cases or what some of the details were. Uh, they're, they're, they were very frustrated because they felt like the other side of the story was not shared. And they were – and even one was a little frustrated at me and was like, well, why didn't you ask those questions? Why didn't you ask this? It's like I didn't know there was another side to some of those stories. They sounded plausible to me and I didn't really think to ask additional questions. But um, it, it, I think they were – I think the thing was they were frustrated because like in the US, it, let's say it was the FBI. You know, it's not like the FBI can go out and make public statements without having to clear everything from lawyers and so on. <laughs> and then ultimately yep. even if they could, they would not be the ones making the statements. It would be you know some spokesperson. So I, I think it was frustrating that – they have a view that will never be heard, and they're not allowed to ever share that view, and their position won't be heard. But I think they just wanted me to share that, hey, some of those cases might have had a couple of things to them that didn't quite come out in the episode. And I, I think there was just a little bit of frustration with that, and I, I can appreciate that part of it. But I really wasn't expecting that sort of reaction from the class. I, I just – I. I guess I was unaware of some of the, I, the tensions between defense experts and, you know, the Crown's witnesses there. I mean, I, I guess kind of thinking that through, it does make sense that 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 there be those disagreements. I mean, even some of the stories Simon mentioned, you know, he did describe uh, the Crown witness, maybe going back and forth a little bit about about what certain things meant in, in relation to a specific crime. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I, I can totally see that, and and thinking back, yeah, maybe there were some cases that were uh, where where the evidence that Simon found was a little more slam dunk than others that that he described. Yes. Uh, so did did they? Um, I mean, obviously there were maybe one or so no, specific yeah. cases that they that they said you know there's another side to. Were there other ones where did they say? Yes. Yeah, this, you know, he was totally right on this. Yeah, and in fact, to be completely fair, that's exactly right. They said, oh, in this case, in that case, a fair point. And in fact, they even told me another couple of cases he got involved in that didn't come out in there. And they said, yeah, he came to our agency. He he found something that was missed by everybody. Good on him. So, I mean, there was a sort of respect for, you know, he is dedicated to his job. He is trying to do what he what he can. He he's very thorough, and he's definitely you know doing his duty to help the client. I mean, they there was that right. sort of begrudging respect. There was just at least in one or two of the cases a little frustration that they felt like maybe the entire story hadn't been told. And well, right. you know, yeah, we're we're a podcast. We're interviewing. We we do what we can to get the information out there and. Yeah, I guess it would now be on that agency if they really had a problem to, you know, to 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 add the other side of the story if they ever can. Yeah, um, exactly. But uh, and and we, you know, we'd totally be be interested in hearing that. Um, but you know, for what we can say right now, it sounds like uh, from those conversations, some of those things maybe more slam dunk than others. Maybe there's another side uh, here or there for maybe one of the stories. Yeah, sure. Okay. Anyway, I mean, all in all, had an amazing time. Oh man, they can brew a good cup of tea. I'm I'm <laughs> such a tea drinker, and I was, and it's funny because I, I I hope they're not listening, but 
their coffee's not great. I'm not a coffee drinker, but it's, but it's in, it's instant. And Alice is a coffee drinker, and so normally as a tea drinker, I'm the one that gets screwed over because there's never any tea. So everyone's happy with the coffee. It was exact opposite right. this time. The tea was fantastic, and of course, Glenn, tea and biscuits. Yeah, gotta, gotta ask uh, milk in the tea. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. All right, milk first, milk added in. No, I do milk after, I, I because I need it to get nice and dark and steep. If you put milk first, and I know some of them do that, it doesn't doesn't uh, get strong enough. Uh, it, it, okay. it stops the extraction of the tea because you've now made it basic, so you've neutralized it, so it doesn't it it does not extract the same way. As neither a coffee nor a tea drinker. Um, you know, most of my tea knowledge comes from watching uh, British panel t- uh, panel shows. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, but in any case, uh, no, that's that's really cool. You know, glad to hear that uh, it was such a good trip. Yeah, it was good, and apparently we we will be back there again next year for many weeks. So, all right, all right, fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, you have a, and we're we're kind of delaying here the main part of the of the show for a little bit, but uh, we've got a lot of travel stuff to catch up on. But uh, you were part of like a, a little meeting, conference, training kind of thing in Minnesota here recently, right? Uh, so listeners of the of the podcast may recall, I don't know how many episodes back it was maybe ten <laughs> episodes. There was a case where uh, we were talking – well, we were talking about OSAC conclusions, but right. there was a case that we had had in, in Minnesota where I disagreed with the local examiner who had made an identification. I thought that there was correspondence but not enough for an identification. I used the OSAC conclusion of support for same source and, I mean, that's the, the short of it. You know, we were – we both agreed that there uh, – that there's correspondence defendant could not be excluded but we differed in the magnitude of the strength of support and the and the right. strength of the conclusion so okay. that went to trial i i can't remember if i talked about it on air or not it was bizarre because the defendant represented himself the jury i remember this yeah okay all right well all right yeah, I mean, well, you may have mentioned it to me off air, but still, I, I remember you talking about this because yeah, yeah. you know, I've seen that a couple times before, and it it never goes well. Well, I mean, and I'd never seen this part of it where he was absolutely belligerent. He was swearing at the judge. You know, the jury had their, I mean, literally had their head in their hands, shaking their heads, and like, dude, let's just get this over. You're you're done. So <laughs> by the time I walked in that courtroom, it, it did not matter what I was going to say. It was very clear. That I mean, they had already rendered perhaps a verdict, <laughs> right? All right. So, so that all said, uh, when that was done, and and even when we were out in the hall, you know, I wasn't sure how he was going to react to this because I knew him before, and actually I had respect for him. I'd mentioned that on the air before. I mentioned that in the trial to the jurors. You know, I said this is you know I. I respect for this examiner. I, I know him. Uh, he's technically capable. This is not an indictment of him or his agency. This is simply a professional disagreement. This happens all the time. So this is not that big of a deal or shouldn't be that right. big of a deal. But, I mean, that having said that, I, I know from gossip and some talk around town that – uh, some agencies were irritated. They didn't know I was doing private cases in Minnesota. I found out uh, even some things about my old agency that, yeah, mm, there's some pettiness going on there. You know, how dare Glenn do this, blah, 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 blah. Pettiness from an old agency? Uh, no. Imagine. Right. So, okay. I didn't know how he was going to react to this, and he reacted – Actually, very professionally, respectfully, and and took me up on an offer and and put together a panel. I had suggested, hey, we could do like a a, a joint presentation about this and sort of okay. share this experience, you know, at, at a conference or something. And he did. He he can totally followed through. He put together a panel. It was me and him. Uh, and my verifier was John Black. So John came in on Skype. And then he was able to get the prosecutor and the attorney, or the defense attorney, from the case. Sorry, he he rep, the defendant represented himself, but he had counsel appointed right, right. that was standing by. 
Right. That had that sounds that's pretty normal yeah. from what I've seen. Right. So that's that's so, a fantastic panel. Yeah, it was great because we could really walk through all of the issues. You know, what was effective, what wasn't? Did they understand the OSAC conclusions? Did they understand these nuances? Uh, what did they think about? You know, the because I uh, in my agency, sorry, in my company, when I gave it to John Black, we did a blind verification, but John right. actually agreed with the local examiners initially that it should be an identification. Right. But then I showed John uh, data, and we went through conflict resolution, and I showed him my data and my thinking and reasoning, and John actually changed his mind. He he saw what I saw and showed him and the data and went, mm, actually, now that you've shown me this, I, I'm reconsidering, and he pulled back to support for same source. So it was a very transparent conflict resolution, and to – the local agency's credit, they did blind verification as well and had 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 it verified by a you know, a verifier who just received the late in them and known, you know, uh, didn't didn't do it the exact same way, but did, uh, still to their credit did a blind verification. Sure. So uh, we 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 worked through a lot of different issues, talked about them. Uh, there was a little talk about the statistical model that was used, although that st- stats model was not presented in court. We talked about the reasoning behind that. Uh, prosecution did not want to go through a Daubert hearing for for this for this trial. There was a number of, of different little nuances that that we're all able to discuss with about 30 examiners locally that were there for, for this and got to hear you know all the nuances of the trial and the decisions that were made and how we went about it. So how did that presentation go? How did the examiners receive all of that? The the disagreement, how it got worked through, how did the lawyers yeah. hear all that? What what um you know, how did that progress forward in that uh, discussion? Well, the, the the thing I came away from was it was nice hearing where the local examiner and I – it was nice to actually figure out exactly where our points differed. And you know, he, he made a few points of things that I probably could have done differently and better. And you know, he, he, he looked at some of my report and things I said and you know, I guess recognized that I had some points. So you know, those are things that we – he and I both agreed – Wow, if we didn't have such an adversarial system, that would have been a wonderful thing for us to have worked out before trial, you know, together, yeah. like in a hot tubbing kind of situation, because I think it would have benefited from that. But because it's this <laughs> adversarial approach, there was no real way to do that. And, and Right, right. Right. I'm, not, I'm just picturing you and, and he and his verifier and John Black all in a big hot tub. But <laughs> that, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Picture away, my friend. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, the the thing that – well, the, the other thing I took away from is when the attorneys were asked specifically, did you understand these OSAC conclusions? Did you understand what they meant? Okay. Unequivocally, they said, oh, yeah. It, no, it made sense. But what they said was, but it made sense because you had this – you had your conclusions in your report – you had your definitions, and they kept referring to my graph. And what they meant by the graph was, and it's true, it's in my report, and it's and it was presented to the jurors as well. I've got you know the scale of conclusions on like a, a chart with inconclusive in the middle and identification exclusion on the end, and support for same or different source in the middle. And then within the support categories, I break up and have above it limited support, moderate support, strong support, and then over identification, I show extremely strong support. So you could see how the verbal likelihood ratio of scale mapped on to the five OSAC conclusion scale. And they said, yeah, when we looked at the graph, it made complete sense. I could see that, Glenn, you were at moderate support. John Black was at strong support. And now... To be fair, I had said that the local examiners, because they identified it, must have been by default at extremely strong support. That was that was an assumption on my part. And in fact, the local examiner uh, disagreed with me and pointed out that, no, no, actually, he would have been strong support. If you had asked him, uh, okay. he would have been strong support but still thought it was an identification, which – I okay, fine. 
but now he is now aware that the OSAC standard says, no, no, extremely strong. Extreme, right. is extremely strong. Right. Okay. And so that was his big issue was he would like that OSAC positioning of where identification is to move to the left a little bit uh, okay. to, to include strong support. And uh, it was nice because Carrie Hall was in the audience and was willing to discuss a little bit. And she's like, no, 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 look, this was the compromise. I mean, there were some <laughs> some people that want that even farther to the right and right. much higher. And you can only say an identification for temperance or a fully rolled finger or something. So right. this extremely strong support was the compromise. So it, it, that was kind of – that was a nice discussion was to hear how people were dissatisfied with where those exactly were falling. The other thing that came up was that a couple people in the audience said they don't like limited support, that that should be absorbed into inconclusive and that should just be – so it really should just be inconclusive, then moderate support, strong support and extremely strong support. Uh, OK. So th those are the two big takeaways that I heard from people, and it was re really consistent. Quite a few people had that viewpoint. Was they didn't disagree with the scale; they just disagreed where the cutoffs were. And and you know, it, just personally, I I, I kind of I definitely see that point because for me, uh, inconclusive isn't simply where the likelihood ratio equals one; it, it extends beyond that in in either direction a bit, um, and. You know, the inconclusive isn't just that line in the middle with now support for same, support for different going in either direction. It's an area in the middle where things aren't strong enough to even lean one way or the other. Um, what, would, so, uh, would you agree with this? And this came up. Uh, my answer to that was in most agencies, you'll never consider those impressions because it's going to be no value or at best value for exclusion only. Um. See, here's the th well, and that it depends on on kind of how you proceed because value for exclusion only prints sometimes those get compared right because it becomes probative for the case to to then move forward with those comparisons, uh, and you may not be able to say anything. Um, and uh, you know, my preference is when in doubt, compare it, and we'll you know. If it ends up being inconclusive, fine. But in order to provide the the highest number of probative responses possible, when in doubt, go ahead and compare. And that seems to me the most conservative approach uh, for suitability. Um, and I mean, I've come across plenty of prints where I just, um, yeah, maybe there's something there, but. It's uh, it's just so uncertain to one degree or another. That I just want to say inconclusive. Um, uh, even if there's something making me lean even a little bit one way or the other. So, um, yeah, a lot of those maybe would fall into the no value for one reason or another. But uh, I, I would still want um, the you know, really limited support one way or the other to be, uh, to be inconclusive, uh, and, and not to, to really say anything one way or the other for that. Now, again, I'm a strong supporter of as soon as we start moving a little more significantly to say, to support for same or different, say that, but, uh, to still maintain a range and not just the single value of one for inconclusive. Okay. All right. So, uh, how did the audience react? Were, were they were well, they receptive? Were they no, uh, no, no, and and no one's changed anything. No one's going to change anything. It's not it's not going to sure. happen here. And you know, I, I I used to work for an agency that I considered so progressive and you know so ahead of the curve. One of the first labs in the U.S. to do research with a statistical fingerprint model and all those kinds of things and. No, not going anywhere. Not going to do anything. Definitely not leading the charge on this. Even though they got someone who's on the OSAC and who knows this stuff well, could they could be a leader? They choose not to be. Okay, well, that's a shame. Sure. Yeah, and I just I don't see any other agency other than maybe, ironically, 
the the local agency that was dealing with this case in the first place. Uh, this other examiner, the one that you know, um, the 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 other expert in this case, right? He actually is kind of interested in adopting this model and this approach. So I mean. I mean, just ironically, they may be the first in Minnesota to adopt it, but sure. I, I don't know. I mean, it. there was a lot of discussion. I didn't get the sense that any one of them was like, yep, we're going to go back and start working on this. I, I suggested different ways they could, and I told them how they could test the system, and I'm happy to even offer brown truth images and and, and or or help conduct the research. I'd be happy to do that, but I just – I don't see that happening. Right, right. All right, well, that, that kind of transitions really nicely into <laughs> finally more than a half an hour in the, the main uh, topic of the episode, uh, and that's a, a, an update about OSAC stuff. Uh, so I, I mentioned you know, earlier in the show that the in-person meeting uh, that was scheduled for uh, Oklahoma in April has been canceled and uh, we haven't set a new date yet to resume but uh it's kind of funny i i emailed uh, henry asking hey just want to double check you know a lot of stuff going on with different related to the coronavirus are we still good for uh for april uh you know my my company wants me to kind of just double check anything that has to do with travel and uh he said he double checked, but so far as he's heard, you know, nothing's changed. And then this week, I believe what happened was that this week was the in-person meeting for like DNA and a bunch of those disciplines. Yeah. And a ton of people canceled. Um, not, you know, because uh, Oklahoma is like a hotbed for the coronavirus, but just because, you know, lots of different agencies have issued uh, travel restrictions on their staff. So with seeing that for this meeting, they went ahead and made that decision for uh, for the the other half of the uh, the OSAC groups next month. So um, in any case, we're going to continue uh, moving forward. Uh, you know, getting documents through the the uh, the uh, the process here. Uh, there's there's a lot of activity and. Um, I'm struggling to kind of keep up with with everything to read and comment on, uh, in addition to everything else that I'm that I'm uh, that I'm working on. But uh, it's still exciting to see everything come coming through. It was kind of the plan to have a lot of this reviewed and hammered out in person, but uh, hopefully uh, the the teleconferencing uh, can uh, can to some degree, you know, uh, to help you know, get the, the, the stuff moving forward. So besides that update, there's another, um, uh, couple of the big things in relation with, uh, OSAC and probably the biggest among them is that there's going to be a new document template for the standards that, uh, that OSAC is writing. Now, Glenn, have you, I know you're, you're involved with the uh, physics pattern sack. Have you seen these uh, these come through? Indeed, uh, and I I loved it. I love it too. I'm so excited. Um, okay, so the one of the struggles recently has been the apparent lack of movement of some of these standards or best practices going through the SDO process uh, with ASB. So, quick recap. Uh, you can also kind of go back a couple episodes to the one where I was super angry, but the summary is uh, OSAC is a part of NIST or is administered by NIST. Uh, OSAC cannot be an SDO. An SDO is a standards development organization, so a standard gets created, in this case by uh, OSAC, a subcommittee with OSAC. It then has to go through uh, an official standards development process by a standards development organization and that is uh, involving all the stakeholders getting comments adjudicating those comments and then issuing a an official uh, a a an approved standard from an sdo osac can't do that themselves because of rules that nist has so uh, it has to send them to an official sdo the Friction Ridge Subcommittee has chosen that SDO uh, at this time to be ASB. 
ASB is run by AAFS, the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. And they got a grant a couple years ago to start up a, a group to be an SDO. Uh, and we talked in, when that episode, you know, last December uh, about some of the issues that OSAC has had moving documents uh, through that process and then getting them out. And then once they're back out of the SDO, getting them approved by OSAC to put on the OSAC registry. Pretty good recap so far? Very good. Okay. So uh, in recognizing that issue, uh, OSAC has decided to um, to edit the format of their uh, documents that they issue. So in the past, the document, I got a little sheet right here in front of me, had a watermark that said draft diagonal across the front of uh, the middle of each page, basically saying that it was uh, sent to ASB uh, for development to be a, a standard. The new format now uh, says across, has, doesn't say draft anymore, and just says it is an OSAC proposed standard, saying still that it has sent it off to whatever SDA, uh, SDO it sent the document off to, but for all intents and purposes, this is the standard that OSAC has proposed. Uh, it still says that this has not been um, published by an SDO, but that puts it into the very same category as all the documents from SwigFast. Right. None of those were published by an SDO. However, I triple-checked all of this with Henry, uh, you know, the, the head of the Friction Ridge Subcommittee uh, with OSAC, that the documents published by OSAC are standards. They haven't been through the SDO process, but they are still standards. And as they are issued from OSAC, that process involves multiple levels of stakeholders from uh, examiners, experts, to legal human factors, all sorts of other involved parties uh, that comment and refine that. And that when OSAC publishes the standard, it first supplants, replaces uh, the standard, any previous standard that was issued by SwigFast. Um, and it then awaits the process to be completed by uh, the SDO, in this case, ASB. If ASB completes their process, issues their standard, OSAC can then decide whether or not to accept that as part of the OSAC registry. But while waiting for that to complete, whether or not it even ever happens, the document issued by OSAC is the new standard for the field. Yep. Now, I, I love this. It's um, circumventing the BS that was frustrating us last time. So I like yes. that. It's, it's a clever way around that. Here's my prediction, sir. Uh, it, it, it will, my prediction is it will be exactly the way SwigFast was. That, yeah. uh, hear me out, that agencies, when they have a fry or a dauber challenge, will go, yeah, there are national standards that are available. They're written by experts in the field, these SwigFast standards. And then immediately when they're challenged in the case to say, well, why aren't you following 4.2.3.4 where it says you must do this they'll immediately right. go oh well they're just recommendations we don't actually have to follow those why don't you have these standards referenced in any of your sops oh, they're just recommendations and i and it's the thing that actually annoys it really actually really annoys me it bothers me how many agency policies i look at that do not refer to the swigfast standards do not follow them uh, did not adopt them, you know, be, and you know, the, the, I actually thought that many of them were really useful and had great things in them, like the SwigFast chart, sufficiency chart, and all these things. And yet, yep. I I struggle to think of, I can maybe think of one, maybe two agencies that actually did adopt those. So I, I find it frustrating that all those standards are available. But again, they won't be enforced. Now, if if the and a an accreditation body enforces them and says, "Well, 
They're not SDO standards yet. Right. They are OSAC standards. You will adopt them regardless if they're SDO. That's great. I don't see that happening. I, I, I don't, at least for now. No. So I see them as being just like everything else. Your agency can elect to adopt them, and most agencies won't. And you are absolutely correct. To be fair, though, the same thing will happen or would have happened uh, if these documents had made it through the SDO process. Oh, what, um, what, what happened to the enforcement part of this? There is there is no enforcement. The I, the uh, I thought the that accreditation. Was the, yeah. Nope. The accreditation bodies have clearly. We, we can go back to uh, listen to our interview with uh, Anya. Who was it we Anya? Right. Uh, and she said clearly said that the standards uh, and at the time we thought they were going to actually be SDO standards, right? Yeah. Clearly said that those standards would not be enforced <laughs> by. Uh, S Cloud Lab slash um, ANAB, uh, ANAB, uh, unless the agency chooses to write them into their own protocols. Awesome. I'm I missed that because I probably would have I probably would have thrown my wine glass against the wall. <laughs> that um, now again that was oh about a year and a half ago that we did that interview, uh, and unless I am you know unaware of some major policy change. That was, you know, that was basically the policy of ANAB was that unless it is in the uh, 17.025, 17.020 standard, which, you know, an SDO standard wouldn't be. Right. um, Or it's written into the protocols of the agency by the agency's choice that they're not enforcing it. All right. Well, this is why the UK is better then, because they have a regulator (laughs) that is going to enforce actual standards right. on them and 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 nas was right they then they are continue to be right in their recommendations there needs to be an enforcement branch that, that absolutely that get that gets this country's crap together it, this is i i i am so embarrassed when i go outside of this country and have to explain <laughs> to countries like the uk uh, there is no enforcement. Uh, you, anyone can be a forensic scientist. Anyone can call yep. themselves a fingerprint examiner. Oh, and by the way, I've taught at agencies where the standard training course is three weeks and then they're off doing casework. I, those agencies do exist in the U.S. It is yep. embarrassing that we have no standards for something that affects people. Well, no standards that are enforced for something that affects people's life and liberty. It, there are more regulations to become a hairstylist and more licensing, more yep. hoops to jump through, more controls than to be a forensic scientist in this country. It's crazy. Now, I, what, I will say, though, that I think this is an important step forward because the documents that OSAC is publishing are not drafts. Right. These are final work products. They are completed. And they now supplant and replace and update the standard from uh, that was previously issued by OSA, by Swigfast. Yeah. Uh, so agencies that have, and I know there's they're out there, agencies that have held off moving forward implementing uh, the OSAC standards, waiting for them to no longer be in draft form. Starting and again, I double checked with Henry earlier today. Uh, the documents should be updated on the OSEC website. He thought a couple weeks ago, but it hasn't happened yet, so he's just going to double-check to see maybe if the email got lost. But they should be um, you know, available for the public to, to, uh, to, to see and download here, if not by the time this episode airs shortly afterwards. Uh, so agencies can, can begin moving forward and going, oh, okay, these are no longer drafts. These are the completed work products. Um, and they will only be, you know, updated if the ASB uh, releases uh, their SDO uh, standard, and that is then accepted back by uh, by uh, OSAC. Yeah. Well, you know, I I give agencies about a year, and then I will start calling people out if I have to. If I'm an expert in that case and they're not following these standards that replace SwigFast, I'm calling agencies out for not using SwigFast standards, just right. you know, 
uh, now this will be the new thing. And so, uh, yeah, I was pleased to see uh, OSEC found a solution to <laughs> circumvent well, the BS. And and um, I I I am still hoping for the best case scenario, which is that you know ASB makes whatever changes they have to make to uh, to successfully move forward these documents uh, in in a way that produces uh, quality content through that SDO process. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Eric- I, I really am hoping for that. I know this seems like a little bit of a back backtracking for a moment, but I was just thinking about one of the other things that really surprised me in this panel discussion and why I think there do need to be panels uh, okay. uh, discussing these standards. And in fact, at the IAI this year, I'm going to uh, teach some workshops on how to adopt these standards and how to use these standards. So I'm, my intention is to actually start teaching how to use these standards. I think that that's helpful. I was surprised at the questions that came from the audience because, again, I, I shared earlier what their two big concerns were about where you know inconclusive and where identification fell. The confusion that was coming from the audience was, oh, I thought we had to adopt all five of these conclusions – in, right. Including, you know, the support for same source, which we said in previous episodes, that's not a requirement. You don't have to report that. You'll you'll find life a little bit easier if you can report that. But <laughs> if you choose to be an approach one kind of agency, it's either ident or an exclusion or no value. You can still do that. That's yep. still on the table. And the other thing that surprised me was they they seemed to think that. Not only did they have to have support for same source, but they also had to have limited, moderate, and strong support, which again, Carrie Hall clarified, no, no, it says that if you do have support for same source, you need to explain effectively the magnitude of that strength. So it's possible an agency could have inconclusive then they would have a, a moderate support and a strong support being the categories within support for same source and then extremely strong support for identification. They don't even have to have a limited support. So I, I want to clarify here uh, a few things. First off, uh, and I've said this over and over again uh, on the podcast, in presentations to uh, you know, to examiners at conferences uh, and on the message board online. Um, these definitions are not what you have to, you know, you, don't, you do not have to then adopt all these five. This is if you use this conclusion identification, this conclusion inconclusive, this conclusion exclusion, this conclusion support for same source, right? That, that concept, this is the term to use this is the definition for that term. Uh, so to get us all on the same page as to what word we're using for these uh, for these conclusions and then what definition we have. Just like you were describing before at the conference where there was this confusion in definition of, oh, I thought ID was strong and extremely strong, not just extremely strong. That's, I mean, that's the problem. And that's what, uh, that's how this uh, document solves that pro- those problems. So uh, for support for same source, um, here it says the degree of support may range from limited to strong or similar descriptors of the degree of support. It's up to the agency to kind of really define what that means for them. Uh, But, you know, there's a little flexibility into how to describe basically it's not quite an ID, but I'm almost there or, um, you know, most of the way there or part of the way there, however, however that works out. So an agency can completely follow the OSAC standard and report only ID and conclusive exclusion. They can also completely follow this standard and report ID support for same inconclusive exclusion. Just those four, right? Any of the, of the five conclusions that you report, this is just how to do that. Uh, and it, it really upsets me the, the uh, the arguments against the OSAC uh, propo- uh, you know, proposed standard here in saying, 
either not everyone does that or, you know, I just want to do three. Okay, that's fine. You can do three. This lets you do three. But there are agencies out there doing more than three. What are they going to do? What standard are you going to offer them? Right. This, that's kind of the beauty of this, the compromise that came out in this document is it fully supports you if you're only doing three, fully supports you if you're doing four, fully supports you if you're doing five. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll, I'll say this too as a benefit. I, I love the, these definitions because, again, it, it does help clarify what strength and identification is now. And it does, I mean, does clarify so that everyone agrees or maybe your verifier didn't agree with it. I mean, they're not really hard to figure out what examples of those except for, I will admit, limited or moderate support for different source. I mean, that, that one's a little – that one's odd. Right, and and we've discussed kind of how how maybe a, a way to do that. But I mean, five years ago, five years ago, I did a presentation uh, up in Sacramento for the the hundred year anniversary uh, about uh, a latent that um, at the time, you know, again using the wording that we had available at the time, said inconclusive with similarities. Uh, now I would probably put it in the you know, definitely the support for same source category to further, you know, delve into it and probably be a moderate support, um, either moderate or strong. I'd have to really take another closer look at it to differentiate that, that, uh, to that degree. Um, but I mean, you, you remember seeing it, right? The, yeah, I, I, before you even said the words moderate was what popped in my head too. Right. That, that was a man, there's not much there. <laughs> There really isn't, but what is there lines up, uh, and it's got some quality issues, uh, but uh, it's also got a couple things that are kind of distinctive, but not nearly enough to ID. I've never met anyone that would want to ID it, right. um, but uh, in also the scenario of it being a, a kind of a lifeboat case uh, where you have you know limited number of people that could have left it. Uh, I, I definitely think that the uh, the the jury um, should have heard that evidence. Yeah, so. agreed. I, I, and so one more benefit. I had an examiner last week uh, text me and ask me a question about how are agencies coping with the new 1705 requirements or maybe it's not actually, maybe it's the ANAB requirements. I take that back. The ANAB requirements regarding that the conclusions must effectively state the strength of the, um, strength of the association and have a probabilistic statement to it. I, I don't remember the exact wording of the requirement, but you know what I'm talking about, how, sure. how the, re- the reports have to now state the strength of the association and have a probabilistic statement behind it. And this agency was like, well, what do we write? And I said, guess what? Copy the OSAC standard definition. There you go. Any agency that is looking to meet that requirement, copy it verbatim because it absolutely addresses exactly what the strength of an identification association is, what all the other associations or non-associations are, their strength, and has probabilistic statements in there. It's, it's perfect for meeting that. Yep. And it it is the the most current standard uh, for our field. It has replaced the uh, SWIGFAST uh, conclusion definitions. Uh, it may be further updated in the future, but hell, that, that's that's every standard may be further updated in the future. Uh, it is uh, it is current and uh, should be what uh, agencies reference uh, as you know the basis for their their definitions. All right. Well, I think that will wrap things up. Uh, first off, I want to uh, remind uh, listeners out there of our website, uh, doubleloopodcast.com. Uh, you can head there and there's some merchandise, you know, t-shirts, hats, uh, beer, glasses, miscellaneous things like that, that uh, you may want to, uh, to, to take a look at. Uh, that definitely supports our show here. And you can also go to patreon.com slash doubleloopodcast to uh, support us that way. I throw in a dollar or two uh, our way every month and definitely appreciate all of our listeners that uh, that support us that way as well. 
And, you know, definitely share us. If you're new to the show, welcome everyone over there in England. Uh, you know, share it with, you know, any of your uh, colleagues that might be interested in the stuff we talk about. And one of the benefits of, especially for new listeners, of uh, joining us through Patreon is you get access to like the first hundred or so episodes that we uh, we put out. So uh, definitely appreciate those. So, Glenn, uh, what do you have coming up? Well, I would encourage listeners to go to EliteForensicServices.com. I've been updating my website a little bit and putting upcoming courses and links for those. Uh, but we did add a new practical answers for challenging questions in the courtroom. That's the class I teach with defense attorney. Brendan Max, as well as Kerry Hall. That has been added to San Diego for June of this year, so just a couple of months away. So very limited seating for that one. That one's going to go fast. San Diego in June, great place to be. And also, just uh, if, if listeners aren't aware, I've been doing a lot more privatized, specialized, uh, customized training for agencies, including master classes in testimony and comparisons where I'm coming in and, and doing specially designed training for a small group of examiners in a single agency, running them through Daubert mock hearings, uh, running through complex comparisons and showing how to document and uh, deal with conflict resolution and other complex issues. This is all very specialized, customized training. Reach me through my email, Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at EliteForensicServices.com or go to the website. So with that, I guess uh, my email address as well. Send any questions or comments that you have to uh, like Glenn's email address he just said or me, Eric, at RayForensics.com. Uh, let's see. Follow us at Double Loop Pod on both Twitter and uh, Instagram. And the statements that we make are our own and don't represent necessarily those of anyone we work for. I think that's everything. So uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week.